ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we were discussing the conditions of the prayer and the condition that we had reached now was the condition regarding covering the awrah and then after that we had moved on to the condition regarding facing the qibla that a person who prays as a condition you must face the qibla and this is in particular with regards to the obligatory prayers as for the optional prayers nafila prayers nafil prayer we know that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in some hadith it says he prayed some nafil nafila prayer on top of his camel and made the camel face the qibla and started praying During the prayer of course the camel started wandering away off the direction of the qibla yet the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam carried on his prayer so for the supererogatory prayers it's a bit different but the obligatory prayers your fard prayers then as a condition throughout your prayer you must be facing the qibla that's why the scholars they say If you fidget around in your prayer to such a degree that you end up moving your face and body away from the direction of the qibla your prayer breaks because you've lost the condition you've broken the condition the condition is you must be facing the qibla for your prayer and we spoke about the extent to which you must face the qibla If you are there in the haram in front of the Kaaba then you must face it absolutely 100% your whole body facing onto the Kaaba If you are outside of the haram you're for example in some area in Mecca then where do you have to face to the masjid as a whole to al masjid al haram to the mosque as a whole if you're here in this country then generally within the directions here now we're in the west therefore the kaaba is in between the north and the south our direction is between the north and the south in that direction of the kaaba It is not a condition from this type of distance that you have to be pinpoint point 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 something on the compass exactly on the Kaaba that is not a condition from here There are certain exceptions sometimes a person can pray obligatory prayer without facing the Kaaba when on a journey still have to face the Kaaba If you're ill, so what? Face the Kaaba. 
If you can't move, imagine now for example you're in a hospital bed, you just done operation, and your bed is facing the wrong way, it's not facing the Kaaba. You can't move, you've done the operation, you can't get up, you can't do anything. You're the nurse, the visitors, nobody's there. The time for the prayer is about to finish. Now you're thinking, Maghrib, it's going to start, I need to pray my Asr. Time is almost going. So you have to just pray. You have to just pray in the direction that you have. Because now it's either you wait for somebody to move you, or you just pray in the direction that you're in. And so in that case, you have no choice. You have to just pray in the direction that you are in. Other instances, other examples. In the time of war. If it was a time of war, and it just so happened that the direction of the Kaaba is where the enemy army is, they're firing arrows from there, you can't face into that. So now you may have to face somewhere else in some other cave, rock, in a different direction. No choice out of fear. Anything else? On a plane, if you're sitting on a plane, then what is the ruling? Imagine now, you go on a plane, and your flight sets off at, let's say, 4 p.m. Oh no, after that. Let's say your flight sets off at, uh, yeah, go on, 4 p.m. Your flight sets off nowadays in the UK time, 4 p.m. And it's going to land where it's going to land after Maghrib in that country. 11 p.m. at night. So you have to pray on the plane your Asr. Maghrib and Isha you could combine later on when you land. But Asr... You're going to have to pray on the plane. So how do you pray it? What are the conditions of praying a prayer on a plane or a train or any other type of transport? The condition or the general ruling is that you're supposed to try and pray exactly as normal. That is the first ruling. You're supposed to try and pray exactly as normal. A plane, train, that's not an excuse. So you're still supposed to face the Qibla. On an aeroplane, it's easy to work out with those TV screens, everything. Even the direction, you know which country you're going to, you know where you're flying. You should have basic geography. So it's easy to work out the direction on the, on the plane. So you face that direction, and you're supposed to stand up to if you can. On some airlines like Saudi Air, they give you the prayer area at the back anyway. Enough space for 8-10 people to make a jama'ah and pray. In other aeroplanes where you don't have that, if you can still stand, you ask them permission, maybe at the back on the legroom emergency space anywhere, they give you permission, they say, okay, you can do a few minutes standing your prayer, then stand, face the qibla and pray as normal. If that is not possible, sometimes it is not possible. Sometimes the airline will say, no, the seatbelt sign is on, Turbulence for the next half an hour, the sign is going to stay on. The captain says, by then the prayer time is going to go. So you can't get out of your seat now. Impossible to stand up then. So in that case, you got no choice. You're going to have to pray Sometimes. sitting down. What about facing the qibla? Even if you're sitting down, obviously your seat is facing one direction now. Your seat can't move. But your body and your face, you have to make the effort 
to try and go to the direction of the Qibla. So now the aeroplane is flying in a particular direction, you can't get up, even if the seatbelt sign is off, but they say to you, health and safety, we can't let you stand up. Some airlines maybe. So you have to stay in your seat, it's flying in a direction that isn't the Qibla. The Qibla is maybe out your window that way. So in your seat, you're supposed to move in your seat to the direction of the Qibla and start praying sitting down facing it. It's on that side, then move the other way in your seat and face it in your seat that way and pray. You can't just sit forward like this. You got to try and face. If it's right behind you, you do the best you can. As much as you can move around, as much as possible you do it. So in the plane, in the train, any type of place, firstly what you should try and do is pray as normal. Get up, stand up, face the Qibla, pray as normal if you can. If you can't, sometimes on planes, trains, etc., prayer time is going, you have no choice, then sit down and pray. But if you sit down and pray, still you have to make every effort to try and face the Qibla, whichever direction it is in. You should try to avoid praying on planes if you can anyway. So now for example, let's say your flight sets off at 6.30 p.m. And it's going to land at 11 p.m. So again, Maghrib and Isha, no problem, you could combine them when you land. But if you set off at 6.30 and you haven't prayed Asr yet, on the plane you're going to have to pray Asr. But if it's setting off at 6.30 or 7 p.m., by that time, before you even board the plane, Asr time has started. So the scholars say you should pray. Pray first in the boarding gate anyway, before you get on the plane. That way you're not going to risk the issue of standing up. You're not going to risk it then. On the boarding gate, wherever you are, pray full, standing up everything. But once you get onto the plane, you think, okay, I've got time when it takes off, I'll pray outside in the plane. But if you do that, you're risking, you might not be able to stand up. So the scholars say, if you can avoid the plane, if the time has already started, etc., pray in the airport, in the boarding gate, anywhere. Even in the boarding gate. I've prayed in the boarding gate in the past. Go to a site somewhere, anywhere. Just pray, it takes a few minutes. Better than going onto the plane and risking it where you can't stand up. If you have no choice, the plane sets off at 3 p.m. It's going to land at 11 p.m. Asr has to be on the plane now. Now you got no choice. Okay, do what you can. Try and stand if you can. If you can't, then sit and face the Qibla. Same with the train. What about car? You're in a car, you're in a van. Driving down, you and your friends. You're going to London or something. What's going to happen there? Then in that case, you have to pull over. Now you can't just start saying, it's okay, I'll carry on driving, and you lot pray sitting down in your seats. Pull over. Pull over in the service station, find the Qibla, stand up and pray properly. No need to be sitting down or anything there, where you have freedom. You can pull over anytime you want, any service station. So in that situation, you shouldn't sit down and pray, pull over. But in a train, in a plane, when you can't just pull over, then it's a different situation. Also, other exceptions. What are other exceptions? When you can pray a prayer and it's valid, even if you didn't face the Qibla. One we said was, if you're just not able, you're in a hospital bed, for example, you can't even turn it around, nothing. You're not able, you gotta just pray. Or, if it is like a war, fear, battle, enemies coming that way, you have to go the other way, possibly. Or, if you don't know the direction. 
We spoke about this briefly last time. You go out camping or something and you don't know the direction, then what are you going to do? You make your best effort to try and work out which way the Kaaba, the Qibla is. Once you've made your best effort, you've decided where the motorway was, where this was, where that was, you've worked out your directions and you've made a good, good guess where it is. Then you pray. Later on in the morning, when the sun comes up, you realize, hang on, if that's the east everything, then we prayed wrong last night. Now what's the ruling? Your prayer is valid. Majority of the scholars, they say your prayer is valid. As long as you made a proper effort to work it out. When you got to that situation, if you thought, okay, what's going on? We don't know, let's just pray anywhere. Then it's wrong. But if you make a real effort, you try and work out which direction did you come to the camping site? Which motorway were you coming down? Whereabouts was that? You try and work things out and you come to a good guess that this is the direction and you pray, then it will be valid afterwards because you made every effort to try and do it and that is all that is upon you. Then we move on to the sixth condition. The sixth condition of the prayer is the niyyah. Intention. The intention. Intention is of course a condition of the prayer. You cannot pray without intention. However, how is the intention for the prayer made? How do you make the intention for the prayer? Most people, most people, you will have been taught when you are young and you are growing up, the intention and how to do it. When you are taught, I am going to pray four raka'at dhuhr behind this imam uh, for the sake of Allah, facing the qibla, can't forget that condition. All of these things you're taught how to say it. That is not in the sunnah anywhere. Ah, so all of those lines you will not find a single hadith telling you this is how you do intention. This is just what people have generally thought this is the good way to make intention, make your intention fard, for raka'at, dhuhr, behind the imam, facing the qibla, for the sake of Allah. People have just thought this is a good way to make intention. It's not sunnah to do that. There is no hadith, this is how you make the intention. In fact, a Shaykh al-Uthaymeen, a Shaykh Uthaymeen, one of the scholars, he mentions a story about somebody who told him, one day he was... The iqama happened, so he got up and the person next to him got up. The iqama just finished, they're about to start praying. So the person next to him was making the intention. And he was saying, uh, I'm going to pray these four raka'at duhr for the sake of Allah behind the imam facing the qibla. And then he was ready now. Now he was just waiting for the imam to say Allahu Akbar. The man next to him heard him saying all these things. He said, wait, why have you gone quiet? You haven't finished your intention yet. Add some more things as well. Say, I'm going to, today the 30th of April, uh, three minutes past eight, uh, I'm standing here in the sixth row. Say, add all these things. You've made a huge intention already, three pages long. Add all these things to it as well. Meaning to show him and just to highlight to him, what are you talking about? What is all this intention? All the intention is in your heart. You don't even say anything. Saying it is a bid'ah in the first place. Bid'ah. To say it, I'm going to make this intention, pray for Allah. Saying it is bid'ah. Intention is in the heart. In your heart, you have the intention that this prayer now, you're praying it for the sake of Allah. You know in your heart what the prayer is. Now when you go to the mosque in an hour, 
Is anybody confused why you're going to the mosque? When you see the darkness outside, you're walking into the mosque. Subconsciously, everybody knows you're going in to pray. Maghrib. It doesn't need you to stop. Stop and think, okay, I'm praying this and it's Maghrib, three raka'at. You didn't know it was Maghrib when you're walking and you saw the dark. Everybody knew exactly why they're going to the mosque. You don't need to say those types of things. Some scholars say, okay, you can do it, no problem. But you don't need to. The key about the intention is, you're there, you know you're praying this act of worship for the sake of Allah, sincerely for Allah. Those are the types of things in your intention. This prayer for the sake of Allah, praying it for Allah, not praying it for anything else. You make that intention, this worship, you're going to do it for Allah. So that intention is a requirement. And there are some issues about this intention now. If a person started a prayer, a nafal prayer. Imagine now somebody started a nafal prayer. Okay, made the intention to pray nafal. He knows he's just going to pray nafal yet. Allahu Akbar starts praying. Then in, at home, at home. Then he realizes as he's praying, his alarm goes off or something. The alarm he'd put on to remind him you need to go to the mosque now to catch the jama'ah. As he's just praying this nafal, all of a sudden the alarm goes off. So now he realizes that the jama'ah time is on. Now is the time for the fard. Is he allowed to change his intention in the middle of the prayer? Like give you an easier example, uh, if he had an appointment, he's got a doctor's appointment at 2.30 p.m. or whatever. He starts praying nafal, he's praying his duhr, he starts praying his sunnah for his duhr. Then the alarm goes off to remind him he's got the appointment. So then he thinks, oh I'm late. He thinks in that case, let me just change my intention to make this the four actual fard of duhr. Because I'm late, my alarm's gone off. So he thinks, I was doing nafal, I was doing sunnah, but the alarm's gone off, I'm getting late, let me just change the intention, make this my four fard of dhuhr. Is that allowed? Anybody? Everybody saying no? He started his prayer, Allahu Akbar, made wudu, everything all good. He can't just change the intention and make it fard instead of nafal, he's prayed it properly. Facing the qibla, everything. But his first intention was the sunnah of dhuhr, not the fard of dhuhr. Upgrading. <laughs> upgrading allowed, huh? The scholars, they say, upgrading is not allowed. Why not? Because then, when you finish the prayer, it means clearly that you've only prayed, like for example, after the first raka'ah, you do that. So now you've only really prayed three raka'at of the fard prayer. One was the sunnah of dhuhr. That's what you were doing in the first raka'ah. You were doing the sunnah of dhuhr. Then you changed it. So the first raka'ah, that can't be changed because you changed your intention after you'd done it. So you can't take back your intention and cover that. That's gone as a sunnah raka'ah. That's gone as a sunnah raka'ah. Now you changed your intention. So the next three now would be fard. So you got three raka'at of fard, one raka'at of sunnah. That can't be fard prayer for dhuhr. 
Dhuhr has to be the intention of fard from the very first raka'ah all the way. So that has to be something that the intention is made from the very beginning. The intention has to be made from the very beginning. So you can't upgrade from a nafal intention in the middle of it to fard intention. What about a person he starts intention of fard dhuhr. Fard dhuhr he starts praying. As he's praying, he realizes that he forgot to pray the two sunnah of dhuhr first. He starts praying and then he thinks, wait, wait, the two sunnah I didn't pray yet. The two sunnah which come before dhuhr. He says, I forgot, or four some of the scholars say. He says, I forgot to pray that. So then he thinks, okay, wait, let me downgrade. Let me just make my intention to the sunnah. I forgot to pray them. The two sunnah of dhuhr. Then he thinks, I got time and everything anyway. Let me just change my intention to the two sunnah of dhuhr yet. Then I'll do my four fard after this. Downgrade. That allowed or not? That's allowed. Anyone? No? Why not? Sheikh al Uthaymin said it's allowed? Where did he say it's allowed? I think you are making accusations against the Sheikh al Uthaymin. <laughs> this is also not allowed. Sheikh al Uthaymin says it is not allowed. The reason being, the Sunnah of Dhuhr, is that a specific prayer or not? It's an optional prayer, but is it a specific prayer? It is the sunnah of dhuhr. Is it a specific linked prayer? Yeah. It's a specific linked prayer. It's not just general nafal. Like one day you just say, I'm going to pray nafal, you start praying. This is a specific prayer linked to a fard prayer. Any specific prayer that is linked to any fard prayer, <laughs> that one also, you have to pray full intention from the beginning. You can't change that to anything else. You can't change a fard into a linked sunnah. The linked sunnah, you have to have the intention for it from the very beginning too. Because that is a specific sunnah linked to the prayer. You must therefore begin with an intention for that specific sunnah from the beginning. So you can't even downgrade from a fard to that sunnah. Is it allowed to do it the opposite? We'll come to that in a minute. So the fard, you can't downgrade to a linked specific sunnah. The rawatib. They must have an intention from the beginning. The only time where you can change your intention in the middle of the prayer then, is if you're praying, for example, a fard prayer, or you're praying a specific linked sunnah prayer, and then you decide to just pray a general nafal. For example, if that happened, one day you're praying your fard of dhuhr, and then you think to yourself, actually, you know what, there's loads of time here, it's only just entered dhuhr time. Let me do half an hour of nafal first, then I'll pray my dhuhr. Or, or you start praying your dhuhr, for example, at home, and then you think, actually, you know what, today my shift starts late, I can catch the jama'ah today. So in that case, let me just change my intention to make this nafal. This one I've started praying at home now, 
let me just change the intention, make it general nafal. And then half an hour later, I can catch the jama'ah in the mosque today. My shift starts late, you should remember. So now you can downgrade it to a general nafal prayer. Not the sunnah of dhuhr. General nafal prayer. That's allowed. So the first situation was, you're praying a sunnah or a nafal, uh, a, a specific linked sunnah or a general nafal. Can that be upgraded to fard? No. From a fard to a specific linked sunnah, that downgrade can't work either. From a fard or a specific sunnah to a general open nafal, that change can occur. So just that one downgrade can occur. From the fard or a specific sunnah to an open nafal, that that way there can work. No other way works. Another issue regarding intentions, another issue regarding intentions, if you're praying in a jama'ah, can you have a different intention to the imam? Like for example, uh, for example, Asr time you come to the mosque, and the imam says Allahu Akbar and they start praying their asr prayer. You were tied up in some emergency, you never got to pray dhuhr yet. <clears throat> so when you join the jama'ah, you still need to pray your dhuhr. You're going to make your intention for dhuhr. Because you should keep the order of the prayer. Some scholars say you can just join in and pray asr and do your dhuhr afterwards. But the prayers are in that order, so you should keep the order. Can you now join them with the intention of dhuhr and the imam and everybody else is praying asr in the jama'ah? Yes. Yes. The imam is praying asr. You're going to do intention dhuhr? Allowed? No. This is allowed. That's allowed. If the imam has the intention of a particular prayer, you join in with a different intention, it's allowed. One example, a good example of that is what's coming up now, Ramadan. Imagine you get to the mosque a bit late in the evening. They've already started their taraweeh. You haven't even prayed Isha yet. You get there a bit late. You miss the Isha prayer, they've already started taraweeh. What are you going to do when you join in now? You're going to make the intention of Isha, the imam's got the intention of Taraweeh. He's not even pray, praying a fard prayer. Taraweeh is a fard. It's not fard. It's sunnah. He's praying a sunnah prayer. You're going to make intention of fard prayer and pray behind him and join in the congregation. They're all praying Taraweeh. You're praying Isha. Allowed? It's allowed? That difference in intention between you and the imam, that's allowed. Because there are examples from the sunnah where that happened. And it's allowed. One of the examples is about Mu'adh ibn Jabal, one of the companions, radiyallahu anhu. He used to pray the Isha prayer with the Prophet The Prophet used to lead the prayer, he used to come and pray in the jama'ah. Then afterwards when he finished, he used to go back to his village and they used to pray a bit late. Isha, they used to pray a bit later. He used to get back and he was actually the imam. So he used to go back and then lead the Isha prayer in his village. He's already prayed. 
he prayed in the jama'ah behind the Prophet ﷺ. Then he goes back and he's the imam of his people in his village. He leads them in Isha prayer. His intention isn't even Isha, he's already prayed it. His intention is just nafat. But everybody else behind him, their intention is the fard, Isha. And that's allowed. The Sahabi used to do it. The Prophet ﷺ knew he used to do it as well. And he said that's fine, didn't say anything to him. So that difference in intention between the jama'ah and the imam is allowed. Another issue. Are you allowed to change your intention from praying alone to praying in jama'ah? What I mean is, like for example now when people walk in late to the mosque, jama'ah is finished. So he comes in late and he starts praying his own prayer. Jama'ah is gone. Then another person walks in, what do they do? They come and they give you the, the slap on the shoulder. They come and give you the small slap on the shoulder. Why do they give you a small slap on the shoulder? To, to tell you join, I'm going to join you, we're doing a jama'ah now. They give you the tap. People come in, they give you a little tap. Or if there's two people praying already, somebody comes in and gives a bit of a tug onto the second guy to pull him back to make two of them jama'ah, one of them the imam. So now imagine one person has come in late and he's praying by himself and you walk in. And you give him a tap or you come and stand next to him and give him a tap. So he knows now you've joined in with him to make a jama'ah. What's happened to him now? He started his prayer with an intention of just praying alone by himself, singular by himself. Now in the middle of the prayer, he's going to have to... His, his intention now is he is the imam all of a sudden. Can you change the intention of being by yourself to the intention of being the imam now in the middle of the prayer? It's allowed. If it wasn't allowed, all these people who do the tap would be wrong. You have to give them the fatwa, stop doing it. It's allowed, that's allowed. Because that hasn't changed the prayer in of itself. Whether you're praying by yourself or you're praying the imam, has that changed the fact you're praying Isha? He walked in late, the jama'ah was finished, he started praying his Isha. The person joined in with him, so he's now got the intention of being an imam, but the actual prayer he's praying is still Isha. He's carrying on with his Isha as he was, but he's just the imam now of this other guy too. That doesn't change anything, because the prayer itself is carrying on as normal. He is praying his Isha as normal. It's not like he has to change anything. Wherever he is, he carries on. It's not like if you get tapped now, you got to go start from the beginning. You carry on from where you are. So nothing changes in your prayer. You carry on as you are. And the person tapped you, you're not the imam as well, but you're just carrying on with your Isha as it was. So that is allowed. Then you would start reading loud now because the, uh, you're the imam and it's a loud prayer. So you do the loud thing and everything, but the actual prayer is the same. Even when you're praying by yourself, actually you should do it a bit loud. Isha prayer is a loud prayer. So even if you're praying by yourself, it's okay, scholars say, read it out loud slightly. Isha is supposed to be a loud prayer anyway. But even if you weren't, then yes, you would do it now, because they are following behind you. What about if you are praying by yourself, you came in late, you came in late, jama'ah is finished, so you start praying by yourself, Isha. 
a group of three guys walk in late as well. They don't realize you're praying your Isha. They just think you've got up and you start to pray your Sunnah or something now. They don't know you were late. So they stand next to you, those three, one in front, two behind, Jama'ah Isha. They don't know you're late. You know you're late. You think to yourself, and you know what's happened obviously, you know they've come in late as well, they're praying their Isha as well. So you think to yourself, shall I just step across and join the Jama'ah? Get more reward, Jama'ah. Are you allowed to intentionally change from praying alone to praying in congregation? Can you step across and join them? No? You know the scenario now. Isha finished. You walked in, Isha finished. So you start praying. A group of three guys walk in, and they late as well, right next to you, they make a jama'ah start praying. They don't know you're praying already, whatever. They make a jama'ah start praying. You've realized now obviously what's happened. They've walked in late as well. They've started their jama'ah for isha. You think, okay, well, it's only, they just write there. Shall I just step two steps across and join the jama'ah with them? Without uh, starting the first, first so Any time, but is it allowed for you to now join into the jama'ah? You started single. Can you make it jama'ah? Without breaking your salah, you don't start. No, without breaking the salah, just move across, carry on. It's like you just started. And they come and they just started. First raka'ah, first raka'ah. It's allowed. It is allowed. Because again, the actual prayer has it changed? Isha. For example, in this example, Isha. All that's changed is you were initially on the intention of being by yourself. Now you're going to be in the intention of in the jama'ah. Same prayer still. Prayer hasn't changed at all. So those things don't impact on anything. Single, jama'ah, imam, not imam. That doesn't change things because the actual prayer hasn't changed. So that is some issues related to the intention. You could still join. You could still join. And then after the third raka'ah, there's a difference between the scholars. Either you stay sitting and wait for them to come back, or you just sit and finish. That's like, for example, if you come in to Isha prayer. Isha prayer, 10 o'clock, you come in, you've been on emergency, you didn't get to pray Maghrib yet. Just as you walk into the mosque, the iqamah is happening for Isha. So you're going to join in, but you're going to make intention of Maghrib. They're praying. Isha Problem now is what's going to happen after the third raka'ah? What are they going to do? They're going to get up to pray their fourth raka'ah. What are you going to do? You can't pray for You're praying maghrib. So now what are you going to do? You can't get up with them. Impossible. Maghrib is only three raka'at. So what are you going to do? You stay sitting? There's two positions. So there's different opinions. One opinion, obviously you can't get up. Impossible. Maghrib is only three raka'at, so you're going to have to stay sitting down, even if the rest of them all get up. You're going to have to stay sitting down. Now you have two choices. Either you can sit down now and just do your tashahud, everything, and just finish your prayer, salam, salam, finish. Or you can sit down, do your tashahud, everything, but don't do your salam. Sit down, do your tashahud, everything, and then just wait. Wait for them to finish their raka'ah, everything, come down, sit down, so they're in line with you now. And wait for them and the imam to give the salam and give salam with them. 
You see the two options. After the third raka'ah, you sit down, start doing your tashahud. You could just get through it, give the salam, finish. And you might even be able to get up and join them in the last raka'ah, which would be your first raka'ah of Isha. So you catch one raka'ah of Isha with them. Or you just do your tashahud, everything, and just stay. Just wait. Let them finish all their raka'ah, everything, prostrations. And then when they're sitting down at the end as well, and they give salam, you give salam with them and finish with them. Two possibilities. You can do that. After the final tashahud, everything, you can carry on making the dua, wait for them. No, that's a difference between the scholars. Some of them who say you stay waiting is because of the hadith, You're supposed to follow the imam. So some of the scholars say, obviously you've got no choice, you have to sit down because maghrib, you can't get up after the third one. But they say you're supposed to follow the imam. So don't finish and give salam, wait. Let the imam come, and when he gets to that part and finishes the salam, then follow him and give the salam. They say the hadith says, follow the imam. So wait for him, wait for him to come and everything. And when he does the salam, then do it with him and follow him. Others, they say, it's okay, you can give the salam and get up and join him with them on the fourth raka'ah, which will be your first raka'ah of Isha. Is it possible to dine in second raka'ah? If you're late, but don't make it, but you don't wait on purpose. If you come in, the iqamah for Isha is happening, then you don't think to yourself, I'm praying Maghrib, so let me wait for one, one raka'ah. When they finish one, then I'll join, then I'll have three with them. You don't do that. Join with them, and then just wait at the end. But if you came late, and they're on their second raka'ah, you came late to Isha anyway, and they're on their second raka'ah, you make intention of Maghrib, three raka'ah, give salam with them. Even though the order will be different. Tashahud is going to be on your first raka'ah, and your third raka'ah. You're going to miss the tashahud on the second raka'ah. Another situation, imagine... You're late for Maghrib prayer. And you come in when they are on their second raka'ah. You miss the first raka'ah of Maghrib. And you come in, they are on their second raka'ah. So you start, this is your first raka'ah. After this raka'ah, what are they going to do? Sit down. Second raka'ah of Maghrib, they're going to sit down. Then they're going to get up. And now they're going to sit down. This is their... Third raka'ah, so they're going to sit down and do tashahud. Then when they finish, you've still got one raka'ah left. So you're going to get up and do that one raka'ah, then sit down and do tashahud. That means you've prayed maghrib, three raka'at with tashahud in every raka'ah. This is a possibility, that's what happens. That's a prayer where you end up praying tashahud in every raka'ah. When you come and end up being late and join the maghrib in the second raka'ah. Any other questions on that? You know, the scenario you, you, you gave earlier, where one is praying alone and the Jamaat comes beside him, and he joins the Jamaat, can he join if he's prayed <coughs> one rakat with the new Jamaat has just started? It's so possible. You can still join the Jamaat. You can still join and then you, uh, you, you make the arrangements as we just discussed about sitting, etc. Is the chair sufficient? As a sutra, uh, we discussed the issue of the sutra or not? As one of the conditions here or not? Well, not as a condition, but as one of the points, sutra. We'll get to the sutra part. But uh, when you pray, it is sunnah to have a sutra. Sutra is some type of object in front of you. So that even if people are passing by, they're not passing in front of you when you're praying. So you have some type of object, a sutra as it's known as. 
It is sunnah to have it. You should have a sutra. A chair is okay. But if you're using a chair as a sutra, you have to be facing onto the leg of the chair. Because the middle of the chair is a gap. There's no sutra there. In the middle of the chair, there's just a gap. There's no sutra there. Sutra is supposed to be something which comes from the ground upwards. In the middle of the chair, nothing is there. It's the leg of the chair which can be sutra. Because the width of it doesn't matter. There are some hadith, the Prophet ﷺ used to use a stick. A stick, just put a stick in the ground and pray. Leg of a chair is the size of a stick. So you can use the leg of the chair or the leg of the table. But if you stand in the middle of it, then technically you've got no sutra. In the middle of it, there's thin air, nothing there. So like it could face you sideways. Sideways? Anyway, as long as you have something from the ground coming up as the sutra part. Something from the ground coming up in the hollow gaps areas? No. A table. You can't stand in the middle of the table where there's a gap. You've got to stand on the edges where the legs are. The leg is the sutra, not the gap. This top part can't be a sutra. Sutra has to be something coming from the ground upwards. The top part of the table is not touching the ground. It's in thin air. That part can't be the sutra. The leg comes from the ground upwards. That's going to be the sutra. Ah. That's if you're already If you've already started your journey So let's say for example Your flight goes from London Heathrow And you live in Leeds So your flight is at 3pm You set off from Leeds at 8am And you get to Heathrow at 1 o'clock or something Your flight's going at 3 o'clock you can combine your Dhuhr and Asr in Heathrow Airport. Shorten and combine. Because you are already a traveler. From here down to London, you're already a traveler before the flight even takes off. So you're already a traveler there. No problem. Leeds Airport, where's that? How far is that from here? How many miles? 10 miles. So if you were traveling and your flight was from Leeds Airport, Bradford Leeds Airport, whatever they call that one. If your flight was from there, and you live in Leeds, by the time you get to the airport, you're not a traveler yet. You're still in your hometown. Probably look from the airport, you can see your house again still. So you're not a traveler yet. So if your flight was at 3 p.m., and you get to Leeds airport at 1 p.m., two hours before your flight, you could pray your dhuhr in the airport, normal four rakat. you can't pray your asr yet. Because you're not a traveler yet. Now, you're not a traveler yet. That's a difference of opinion. Some scholars would say 10 miles is a journey. Some scholars would say that. But upon the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam and the opinion about the urf, the tradition of the people. Traditionally, if somebody travels 10 miles, do they consider that as a journey? Traditionally, people don't consider it as a journey. In our day and time here, everywhere, 10 miles is around the corner. 10 miles is a quick nip down the road and back again. Nobody says that's a journey. So because in the tradition of the people it's not considered a journey, then in the rulings of Islam, it's not considered as a journey, upon that opinion. So upon that opinion, you wouldn't be able to pray Asr yet. You'd have to board the plane, and when Asr starts at 5 p.m., 4 p.m., whenever, you'd have to pray on the plane, unless the plane was going to land before Maghrib. If the plane was going to land before Maghrib, and you know you got enough time to get through customs, everything, and you'll still be able to pray before Maghrib starts, then leave it. Until you get there. 
Because then you could press standing up. If your plane's about to go and you don't get time to, yeah, then then you can. If you didn't pray your dhuhr, your flight's at three o'clock, you're in a rush. This, that, the other security, everything. And by the time it happens, you've already boarded the plane. Now you never got a chance to pray. So now you gotta pray on the plane. Pray on the plane then. No, if it's in a bus, if it's that type of thing, then you then the same rulings as what we just said before. Face the qibla, etc. Try and stand if you can. If you can't, in your seat, face the qibla. If you're on a bus or that type of thing. But if you're in your car, and then you stop. The driver can't say to you, I'm not going to stop. Then you stop. That's okay, like we said here. So you can you can be the imam. It's okay. You be the imam. You're praying sunnah, they're praying their fard. No problem, because in Mu'adh, Mu'adh ibn Jabal, that's exactly what he used to do. He used to pray the fard behind the Prophet Wasallam. Then he used to go and be the imam for them lot praying. So it would be okay. Somebody tapped you, you can be the imam. Do it. And you finish your, you got one raka'ah left, no problem. After one raka'ah, you give salam, they get up and carry on. That's okay. Nah, yeah, that, I mean, there's no fixed amount, I can tell you. But something reasonable. You're not going to walk all the way across the mosque. You see somebody if all the way down that side, you're going to walk all the way down there. Make a trek to get there. Something reasonable close by. Because in the prayer, movement isn't allowed. You're not supposed to move about in the prayer. Minor movement is allowed. Like even the Prophet ﷺ, when he used to show them how to pray, he used to pray on top of the... Mimbar, on top of the mimbar he used to pray. But the sajda, you can't do on top of the mimbar. So when it came to sajda, what did he used to do? Walk down the mimbar and do it. So that's movement in the prayer. So that amount, a small amount, that would be what, two, three steps down the mimbar. Uh, two, a few steps here and there just, just to do it is okay. But something more than that, you wouldn't do it. I don't know about the validity of breaking your prayer to join the jama'ah. I don't know about that. If it was the obligatory jama'ah, then yes. Imagine you walked into a mosque and you thought the jama'ah has been prayed. You thought it's already been prayed. So you start praying. Then all of a sudden a few people walk in, they do adhan, iqama, you realize they haven't, they haven't done it yet. So now you got to join with them. You can't pray your separate. When the jama'ah is going on in the mosque, you must pray with the jama'ah in the mosque. But otherwise, you don't just break it up and go. That's okay. The difference of intentions are allowed. The difference in intention between the imam and the person behind him, whatever they are, is allowed. Again, minor movement is allowed to regain the sutra. A couple of steps here and there to the side, back, but not huge distances. And if he goes with the sutra? If? If he goes with the sutra, the person who is uh, under the 
large yeah. part between you and the other person. It moved after that. Mm-hmm. And he goes with it, he might be without thinker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so your sutra has been taken. Yeah. If you can make another sutra, like for example, uh, uh, just next to you there is a big column for the mosque. So you can just move to the side and make that the sutra. That's okay, small movement. But if it's the column is all the way down there, there's nothing else next to you, you can't walk all the way there. You just pray then, just pray. Because most of the scholars as well, they don't say it's a, a sin if you missed your sutra. It's not like a, a wajib obligatory. You should do it, of course. But if it gets taken away like that, and you can't do anything about it, you can't walk all the way across now, then you just pray, just pray. Minimum height for a sutra, it's mentioned in the hadith, you know, the saddle. You know, when you ride a horse or you ride a camel, you put the saddle on top and you sit on that saddle, the, the seat that you put on top of the camel and horses. The back of the seat normally has a back part to rest your back on it. That back part is normally about the size of your arm bit here. That's what it says in the hadith. So that size is the size of a sutra. Whatever, 40, 50, 30 centimeters, whatever it's going to be. The side of your elbow up to here, that is the size of a sutra. Thickness doesn't matter, it could be just a stick. But one thing though, when you're in the mosque, you're not supposed to make sutras everywhere. Sometimes people in the back of the mosque, they pick up those, those kids, those little small desks. Kids put their madrasa kids and things, those small desks, the benches. They pick them up all over the mosque, everybody's got, you shouldn't do that. Scholars say that's not suitable. You should go to the front of the mosque. Use the wall at the front. Don't put these chairs and benches all throughout the mosque, dotted everywhere. You want to make a sutra, go to the front of the wall. Use the front of the wall as the, as the sutra. Don't just start making chairs everywhere in the mosque everywhere. That's not suitable. Yeah. Anything else on that so far? I'll ask. Oh. It's okay, no problem. As long as the height is roughly that type of height, your jacket, you make it stuffed up into that, it's okay. Sutra. Stuff your jacket up so it stands up to that kind of height, it's okay. I mean, the reason why the, some of the scholars say you can't is because they say, so now, for example, you know you're going to travel today, you're still in Leeds. People think, let me just combine my Dhuhr and Asr now, and then I'll set off and I'm going to go on this journey everywhere. The scholars, they say, in Leeds, are you a traveler yet? You, you've made the intention, you're going to go, but have you actually set off, are you actually a traveler yet? They say you're not. So they say right now, you don't have the permission to combine. Permission to combine is when you become a traveler. So when you get there, in Manchester, no problem. Dhuhr, Asr, whatever you want to do. But here, just because you made the intention doesn't give you the permission. Because they say, imagine now, you make the intention today, I'm definitely, I've got a train ticket confirmed, booked, I'm going to pick it up at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock, I'm going to go to London. So you think, okay, let me just pray my Dhuhr and Asr now here in Leeds. But then you get to the train station, it's cancelled. And there's no alternatives. So you come back and sit at home again. Did you have any permission to combine Dhuhr and Asr then? That's why they say don't do it. When you actually start the journey and you're gone, now you know you're traveling definitely. You've started it. Now combine. But in advance, just because of your intention, they say don't do it because you don't know yet. You might not. That's why they say even fasting. Some scholars have the opinion. Imagine in Ramadan, you know tomorrow I got a flight, 11 a.m. Do you have to start fasting in the morning at 4 a.m. or not? Some scholars say you don't have to. You know you're going to be going on a journey. 
But others, they say because of that reasoning, you still have to start fasting. Because at 4 a.m., where are you? Relaxing at home yet. Your flight's at 11 a.m., you're going to leave at 9 a.m., 8 a.m. for the airport. 4 a.m., you're still relaxing at home. So they say you should start fasting yet. Because same thing could happen. You could get to the uh, airport, flight cancelled, something happened, no alternatives, you're back home again. So then you're thinking to yourself, why did I have breakfast at 8 a.m.? What reason? You didn't even travel anywhere. So they say, wait until the actual journey starts. Then you can combine, break your fast. So on that day then, you should start fasting. 11 o'clock when you get into the airplane, you board. Airplane takes off. Now you know you're journeying. You can order the meal and the drinks or whatever. And you can open your fast. Ah. So, you know, if you were to travel, say, it's dark time. And you set off your journey, but, you know, you're going to catch the Jama'ah on the way. Could you combine after that? No, you can't. But some scholars say don't. Because you're not on the journey. You've started, but you haven't, you haven't become a traveler yet. If you're still here, you haven't become a traveler. When you get to a certain distance, yeah, once you have the boundaries and things, then you've become a traveler. There are some scholars who say you can do it, but it's probably safer because of those reasons to not do it. Because you never know. What if it never turns out to be a journey? Something happens, your car breaks down, you never get anywhere. So then why did you combine? That's why they say, wait until you become a traveler properly, then do what you want. Okay, now, no? If you're traveling, if you're on a journey, coming to it from London, Leeds is your hometown, you're back in, you know you'll be back in Leeds, and there's still the time, say, for Zohar, and you left, while it's still Zohar time, and say, wherever it is you're going to. Can you, say, uh, uh, shorten the prayer in London? Yeah, so imagine now, uh, like that example, you're coming back from London. You're going to get back to Leeds at 11 p.m. 11 p.m. at night. Your tom-tom is telling you 11 p.m. at night. On the way, you stop at the services at Maghrib time, 8.30. You're on the M1 somewhere. Can you combine Maghrib and Isha? Your tom-tom is telling you 11 p.m. you'll be back in Leeds. 11 p.m. when you get back, can you pray Isha yet or not? You can. So you could catch Isha in Leeds. Are you allowed to combine it at 8.30 with Maghrib? You can, because you are traveling. Some scholars say, it's probably better you don't. Because you're getting back, you know you're going to get back with plenty of time to pray Isha, nowhere near Fajr time, you're getting back at 10pm or something, 5-6 hours before Fajr starts. So they say, leave it, pray your Maghrib there, and pray your Isha when you get back properly. But, you are allowed to combine, because you are traveling. You could think to yourself, but it's, I'm going to be tired, it's going to be so late, I will just combine now at 8.30 Maghrib on the services. You can do it, it's allowed. No, uh, impurity is something which is seen, visible, noticed. If you look at issues now, and there's no, it's dry, there's no uh, wetness on it, so there's no possibility of any urine or anything like that. It's dry, and the only type of dry impurity could be like feces or those types of things. You've not stepped on anything. It's all clean otherwise. That's it, you can pray in it. A person might think, but maybe yesterday there was some dog waste on that bit there. And it was dried up today, and I stepped over that today. That kind of thing, it doesn't affect you. That type of thing isn't considered impurity like that. You check your shoes. If you can't see any impurity, it's permissible to pray in it. And it's clear. When you look at issue, you can tell. Dirt, mud, that type of stuff isn't impurity anyway. Your shoes could be as muddy as you want. You can pray in them. That's pure. Mud is pure. But impurity, you see some dog waste on there. You stepped on something. Okay, now you can't. 
but you don't see anything, it's just the, the dirt and the soil and the pebbles and things in there, you can pray. No, but exactly, if you, if you can't see anything, your shoe is dry, then you have no reason to give any justification for urine being there. You can't. If it was wet, and you remember seeing a dog urinating as you were walking down, now there's a serious doubt, okay, fair enough. But even if you just saw your shoe wet, that's not a proof. If you saw your shoe wet, it isn't a proof in of itself. You could have just stepped on anything on the way, a puddle as it was coming, it was raining earlier or anything. You gotta see some impurity. If you don't see it, it's allowed to pray. Hmm. We're gonna have to stop. No time is praying now. Allah, so we'll stop here. Next week we start the actual description of the prayer, how you actually pray. We've done all the introduction now.